Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Bath's Bookshelf, the podcast for all things writing and literature. Today's guest is Danica Stone, the writer of much-loved novel All the Feels. The story surrounds Liv, a college freshman and our main character who is obsessed with a set of movies called Starvale. When her favourite character, Captain Matt Spartan, is killed off, Liv's life is pretty much thrown upside down. All the Fields shows us how Liv copes with this through online communities and her best friend Xander, all while trying to balance her hectic personal life and accidental online success. Danica's book was nominated for the 2016 Children and YA Bloggers Literary Awards and Yolsa's Quick Picks for Reluctant Readers. Danica was also Fierce Reads featured author for June 2016. Today, she's on the podcast with me to talk about fandoms, her writing process and how we discover and commit to new ideas. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. We had a few technical difficulties, but we got it going in the end. I loved recording this episode with Danica, so here we go. I'd like to start off by saying I really loved all the feels and uh, I can't wait to read your next book. It really made me want to go to Dragon Con and I really liked how interestingly uh, formatted it was with the text messages and Twitter conversations and photos and things like that. Well, I felt like if I was going to write a book um, that I wanted it kind of to reflect how I actually exist online. Like I don't just have these really long conversations with people necessarily face to face, but I do spend lots of time on Twitter and I text my friends and Tumblr and just, there's just a different way. And I just felt like if I was going to tell this story about this fan and she really is a fangirl, then I should at least show that. Yeah, it is very uh, typical of a fangirl to be, you know, spending a lot of time in a bedroom. Most of the uh, conversations would be on the computer. I know I was when I was an intense fangirl. Uh, that's just me pretending I'm not anymore. <laughs> like having a, a huge part of your personality like interjected into the story. Like I know I don't know you, but I felt like I knew you were a fangirl or had been in the past. Oh, absolutely. Well, and thank you. Are you a regular Dragon Con goer? Um, I go as often as I can go. Of course, Dragon Con is in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm in Canada, so I, I can't go every year. I've been a number of times, and 
I have absolutely loved it every single time. And I hope that that love for Dragon Con comes through in all the fields. Because I really, I think every fan needs to go there. It is such a welcoming convention. Sounds like it. It's really weird. I've never even heard of it until about three weeks ago. And then I read your book and I was like, (laughs) it's here. (laughs) It's like, once you find out about something, you tend to read more and more about it. And like, great, now now I'm going to have to save up for flights to America. (laughs) (laughs) You will not regret it. It is so, so much fun. It sounds like I wouldn't. So would you like to give an overview of what All the Feels is about for those that might not have read it? Absolutely. So All the Feels tells the story of uh, Liv Walden. Um, she is a super fan. She's a fangirl obsessed with the Star Vale series, which, of course, is not a real series. But um, what happens at the end of the Star Vale series is that Liv's favorite character is killed off and she absolutely cannot go on. She is so upset. So what Liv decides to do is to create this massive online movement to bring back Captain Spartan. And so the book follows her story um, along with her best friend um, who is an actor and he helps her to do this as they bring Captain Spartan back from the dead. Of course, there's all that um, balance of her trying to upkeep her like accidental online success with her troubling personal life and it's just so I thought it was just so realistic of a fangirl to be putting to be putting something that's not real that's fictional before her actual personal life and everything she actually needs to do like it was just so me when I was 15 like (laughs) well and and I'm glad for that and I hope that the good parts of fandom come through as well like I never wanted the book to be about her leaving fandom like there really is this wonderful part of her life that is fandom and she certainly finds her people But of course, there's always balance, as there's balance with everything. And at the very beginning, of course, Liv has no balance. And it's kind of through this process of bringing this character back that she finds her way. And so I I love when people actually kind of go, oh, my gosh, that's me. It's totally me, too. So I... I, I definitely get it. It definitely does reflect the good parts of uh, fandom, which I thought was important to illustrate as well, because I feel like those who are outside of that bubble do view it as kind of this negative, weird thing <laughs> that fans do. Like, have you ever gone to, well, you've been to Dragon Con, but like Comic Con and stuff, and you walk past in your costumes and stuff or in your groups of fans and other people sort of look at you like, what is going on? Is this some sort of cult? <laughs> and they they think it's really strange. It's really nice to show what sort of community you can get from being a fan. It, it's really important, like almost for your own personal growth. Like, I've definitely, I hope anyway, not been as bad as Liv when it comes to fandom. But I've been there where, like, I used to watch Harry Potter every single day and I didn't think my life would be, ever be the same when Snape died. But <laughs> I come out the other side and I'm not as obsessed anymore, but I have wonderful, wonderful friends who I've met through loving things like that and Star Wars and all of that sort of thing. And it was just really nicely illustrated in your book how you need that balance like you you can't go to the really far end of just putting it before everything and going crazy over people who aren't real but uh, you've got to keep some of it because it's just such a wonderful life absolutely and that to me 
is so important. I mean, that idea of like being able to find people who share those same loves and passions as you do, people who care. Definitely. So All the Feels is a story that revolves around fandom, of course, very intense fandom (laughs) rather. What was the inspiration to write a story surrounding this? Um, There were kind of a couple inspirations, but the biggest one um, was inspired by my friend Erin, who was Colson Lives on Twitter. Um, My friend Erin is a professional. Um, She um, is an amazing person. And when Agent Colson died at the end of the Avengers, she was absolutely distraught. But rather than just kind of being overwhelmed by it. She just decided, no, he couldn't die. And she was going to um, kind of start this movement of Coulson Lives and people were tagging all of these posts that showed evidence that he could be alive. Um, So certainly my friend, Erin, is one of the inspirations. So Liv's story is not the same as hers, but it was inspired by her. And the second one um, sounds really strange, but a friend of mine who literally lives in cosplay if he is not actually at work for the government. And I just love that. That's so cool. (laughs) That is really cool. I'd love to live like that. I need a life that lets me live like that. (laughs) Well, he really does, unless he is working for the government where you kind of have to wear formal wear. He's basically dressed as Indiana Jones, which I think is awesome. So like that is his, that is his honest who he is person. So of course, again, Xander is fictional. He's not Indiana Jones. He's very much into steampunk, which is something I love. So that made Xander a really interesting person to write. It definitely sounds interesting. How did your friends react to being inspiration for people or stories? Um, Well, there was only one person, and she actually wasn't in the book. Um, And another friend of mine said, oh, my goodness, like, you were really mad at her. Actually, I wasn't. Um, She's actually not in the book. But it takes those little moments that you have in fandom, the good ones and the bad ones, and sort of tells it in a fictional story. And I certainly didn't have very specific people. I definitely told Erin that she had inspired it, and I told her I was going to dedicate the book to her, which I did, Um, but it isn't the same story. So most of all, people were really, really happy, and the closest fangirl friends that I have, the ones that have been with me for the last 10 years, I'll say, and who we are so close, they were so happy and absolutely the most supportive people because... I didn't make fandom weird. I just tried to tell our story in the way that it really is when you have those close, close friends. Definitely pulled off that it was a realistic portrayal of someone who's part of a fandom. A little bit crazy, but without going unrealistic. That was what was so nice about it. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) In terms of your writing process, all the feel seems very much plot built around how the characters behave and who they are, rather than using your characters as tools to develop the plot, which we see so often. And I really liked that. Was that on purpose? Like, What was your writing process like with the characters? Um, (laughs) Well... I think there's two different types of writers. And one is, um, I think George R.R. Martin actually described one is the architects and the others are the gardeners. And I am probably more the gardener, sort of 
plant it and see what happens. So for me, what I usually start with is I have some characters. So for me, I had this idea of a friend of mine who lived in cosplay. And when I started doing pre-writing, I discovered Xander, who's not my friend, but um, it's based on certain attributes of him. And the same with Liv. Liv is based in large part on me and then also my friend Aaron and then you kind of write this and they develop their own personalities which seems really weird I guess but that is really what works for me so I pre-write and then I sort of let my brain take the story wherever it wants to go Um, and one of the ways that I write is I will keep a pad, a pad like of paper and a pen beside the bed and I'll wake up in the night and I honestly am dreaming about what the characters are doing. So I just make little notes in the dark and sometimes they're crazy and make no sense. But a lot of times they're actually just my brain thinking through where the story goes. And that to me is how the rough draft comes about. And I always think that the rough draft is really just me telling myself the story. And then I just trust editors to clean up that big mess and make it saleable, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's so funny how you can write things in the night. But I do that too. And I'll write something at like two in the morning. And I'm like, oh, wow, that was a stroke of genius. And then I read it in seven, at seven o'clock in the morning when I wake <laughs> up. And I'm like, oh, my God, what a heap of crap. <laughs> that I can't do anything. I think that's all of us. Yeah, it's definitely all of us. But it is it is funny how some characters seem to just do their own thing. Like that must sound so pretentious to people who don't write, but they do. They definitely do just go off on their own and they don't stay on track and you're like, Oh, okay, so we're doing this now. <laughs> I think when you write characters that strong, sometimes your original plot doesn't seem to fit with them. Like they're not having any of it. They're too wild to stay with that and you just end up writing something completely different because it just goes with how their character's developing a bit better. Well that certainly does happen to me sometimes and I think for me I'm most comfortable just following wherever the characters want to go Um, but then of course you have to change hats if you will once you're in the editing and um So, for instance, in all the feels, there was a whole bunch of Liv dreaming about her dad. And when we came down to editing it, um, Holly from Swoon was saying, you know, this really changes the tone. So you probably want to pull those out and then expand on other elements. And so that's where you have to kind of have a trust. Like, I trust that Holly knows what other people need to hear. And so then uh, it's kind of you have to let go of where the characters want to run off and play and you have to kind of focus on, okay, now let's tidy this up and become the architect and build the story in a way that makes it an interesting read. Yeah, that that sounds like a really uh, trusting relationship you have to have there with your editor. I've, I've never worked with one, but Yeah, I imagine you do have to just sort of trust their knowledge and how they know what what other people want to read. Did you have any other ideas for this story before it came heavily involved in fandom? Like, did you start to write about the aspects with her her dad and her relationships and stuff and then thought, I'll connect this with fandom? Or did you know that you wanted to write specifically about fandom to portray this cool idea of it? Um, It did start with fandom. Um, I knew the whole time that this story was going to revolve around her bringing back this character. Um, And 
the parts that sort of faded into the background were actually these parts about her father and sort of what that experience was like losing a father so young. Um, And for me, that was probably, I was writing for myself. I also lost my dad relatively young. I mean, I was an adult, but he was quite young um, still. And so for me, that was probably more something for myself. And Then as the story went on, there were other elements that I needed to build up. Um, I knew that I wanted to also tell a story where it was like best friends and then best friends falling in love. But it's funny how you... you almost have to have someone else's eyes on it. So like I was reading some of Xander's conversations as more friendly, I guess, than they were coming across on the page. And so it was, I had to make him a little bit more flirty, (laughs) which was fun to write as well. So yeah, there was some different, just different parts of it came together. But really, for me, it was very character driven. And I just kind of saw where Liv and Xander wanted to go. So originally, I mean, because you're writing for yourself, originally I was writing Xander and I was interpreting how Xander and Liv were interacting as like he liked her. And and it was funny, once you get an editor to read that, um, Holly was just saying, no, he actually just seems more like he's just her friend. And of course, I needed that transition to happen over the novel. And so I had to go back in and make him much more flirty um, quite a bit earlier. And that was kind of an interesting thing for me because, of course, because I was in Xander's head, I knew what he was doing, but because Holly, my editor, wasn't, she was just reading literally what's on the page. And it was kind of this perfect metaphor for how relationships sometimes just fizzle out because one person has absolutely no idea that the other person even likes them. So yeah, that was really fun. And of course, I love writing Xander. So it was just great to be able to jump back in there and kind of have him sort of up his game a little bit. Yeah, that that is such a cool metaphor for how relationships do actually end up panning out sometimes. Like it's, it's quite strange because when you're writing, sometimes you feel like certain information is so obvious that you're almost patronizing people to put it in. And then you think, no, like only I know that's going on. Like I have actually got to tell people that's going on in some way. That's exactly what it's like. Because of course you know because you're in the characters, but there's times you have to kind of expand that. I asked on Twitter what uh, questions I should ask you and uh, other guests on this podcast. And one of the main questions that it kept rocking up was, how do you find ideas and how do you commit to them? Well, I think for me, just the way that my brain is wired, I'm always looking for stories. And I think that's probably been true always for me. Um, So I'm always very interested in what other people are doing. And for whatever reason, and I've been told this is my secret superpower, it's like people will tell me the most random things about their very personal lives. And I'm not sure why. So I have this sort of growing archive of things that are just sort of interesting. And um, so for me, what usually happens is a little tiny event will set it off. So for instance, my friend Aaron and I sat down at Dragon Con, I think it was like I don't know, 2014. I don't remember the year. But we sat down one afternoon and we just talked, uh, talked about writing. And 
that moment, of course, then just kind of sparked this idea of writing a story about a fangirl. And for me, the way to follow through, the way to continue and actually take that idea and actually follow it through the grueling process of actually writing a book is um, I just make myself write a certain number of words a day. And that sounds so boring and counterintuitive, especially since I'm a bit of a just kind of free thought, write whatever the characters want writer. But for me, I can edit a thousand terrible words, but I can't edit a blank page. And so what I will do is I will just every single day decide that I'm going to write a thousand words and some of those days, it's like pulling teeth. It's horrible. Every word, every sentence I hate, but I know that I can come back to it. And then other days, you just kind of click on something. I mean, I call it flow, but you can call it whatever you want, where you just can't type fast enough. And I know that happens to me when I start writing and I'm actually writing the end of a scene and kind of working backwards because my brain is going so fast, I actually kind of have to fill in the gaps in reverse order. And that for me is when I reach that point, I can't type fast enough. I can't get it out fast enough. I don't want to eat. And it just goes. So I just make myself do a thousand words a day. And then some days are really hard and some days are just beautiful. And I, the, the date, the hours just go. God, that's such a commitment. (laughs) I can't imagine myself writing a thousand words a day of the same thing. So, what was your publishing process like with All the Feels? You published before All the Feels, have, hadn't you? It's with the same group. Um, I hadn't published with Swoon before. Um, so actually, All the Feels was uh, crowdsourced, which was really kind of cool. Um, so Swoon Reads does a crowdsourcing selection process. So I would strongly encourage all the people listening to your podcast who are writers um, Take that manuscript and put it out there. Swoon actually uploads them to their site and people around the world read them and they vote on them and they give commentary and the ones that seem to be getting traction are the ones that are selected. So for me, I kind of entered this contest, I guess, if you will, or this crowdsourcing experience with Spoon on a whim. Um, Because, of course, I was busy with another book uh, through Stonehouse, which is the other publisher I've published with, and uh, they're in Canada. And so I just kind of thought, oh, I love this idea of people being able to vote on a book. Like, what a great idea. And it just sort of worked, I guess, to my advantage. Like, Because it isn't really that much different than what you would do in a fandom where you put out your work and you talk with the people who are reading it and then you make adjustments based on their suggestions. So, for instance, I'm Canadian. I apparently have a lot of Canadianisms that I didn't realize I was using, just words that Americans or phrasing that Americans just didn't use. I had none. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. No idea, but apparently so. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how that works. When I first came to uni, I'd use slang that's um, from the Midlands in England. And no one would understand what I was talking about in the <laughs> South. <laughs> and I, I was just like, you, you don't use these words. <laughs> that's, it, that's it exactly, Beth. It's so weird. Well, I, I have to say, you must have took them all out because I didn't find anything where I was like, huh? In the story. <laughs> I did. I I did have to change some of it. Just things that, um, like the words, one of the words I remember, I think, is parkade. That's a very common Canadian word, but I I had no idea that, like... Yeah, I didn't know what that means. (laughs) So a parkade is, it's just a parking garage, but in Canada, we call them parkades. And I just have this vague memory of that. Or we'll say um, grade 12, but... In America, it's 12th grade, or it's one of the, I had them reversed. And somehow it just sounds different to American ears. And so I, those are the little things I had to catch. But they're, the bigger part of editing, of course, is writing the story in a way that kind of captures the readers the best. Yeah. See, they don't edit that for British people because I've read loads of books where it says like grade 12, grade 11. I've got no idea what that means because we have years. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, it's so strange. That's the problem of selling your book in lots of different countries. You can't edit it for everyone, can you? I'll I'll just have to learn what grades are. (laughs) So, yeah, that... Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do that. So I guess because the reason that they shifted it was I had set it in America. And so and I had just done that because I wanted her to be close enough. She could actually go to Dragon Con. Um, And so then I had to kind of make it fit (laughs) and not demonstrate that I was. You didn't want to have to put up with all the traveling that you have. (laughs) I'm not putting her through that. It's too hard. She deserves to just be within distance of Dragon Con. That is it, exactly. It was just easier to put her a little bit closer. (laughs) I had no idea you could get um, crowdsourced novels. I really wasn't expecting you to say that. I thought you were going to go through that whole, like, I got an agent and I got a publisher and all that stuff. No idea that existed. That's so cool. 
Yeah, and the interesting thing is, I of course went through the traditional steps of get an agent and you query and and you know the whole process with my other book, and so well, just having that experience, it was fine, but it's you know, in some ways it's soul sucking. Um, cause you kind of, you have to find someone to fall in love with your book, one person, and you keep asking and people are like, no, not for me. Whereas when you do it through swoon. Yeah. So like with swoon, you really have a much better chance, I guess, of finding the right people to read it. And really it's kind of nice to know whether it's going to connect to the readers or not, and know that early enough on that if, you know, everybody loves it up to page 50 and then they're like, oh, it kind of lost, it lost its speed. And I was starting to not care. Then having that comment so you can go back and work on it is actually really helpful as well. Yeah, that that sounds like an incredible system. I'm sure a lot of listeners would be really interested in hearing about Swoon. I really wasn't expecting that story. And the nice thing is, I know that they publish people from around the world. The only requirement, I believe, is that it hasn't been for sale before. So you haven't made money off of it. But a lot of the writers who actually have published with Swoon, they started on Wattpad or other sites. And so they'd already shared it with certain groups to kind of polish. And then they bring it to Swoon and the Swoon readers then get to kind of pick and choose how it goes. Yeah, I was about to say that it sounds a lot like Wattpad, but with an end goal of publishing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Publishing. Plus, it must be really nice to know you were voted for as well. Like, of course, that's it's a nice feeling anyway to just publish because it means that someone had faith in your book or a group of people did, but something about it being crowdsourced is very, it's a very nice feeling, I'd imagine. It is. And, and it's really interesting, like some of the early readers for all the feels, now this is a couple of years past, um, like I kind of built a connection with them. Like some of the earliest readers, I really took to heart their advice of what, you know, you know, they kind of were able to say, I really love this character, but it seems a little over the top. And the comments, of course, you put the whole manuscript up on the site and then the comments sort of come in as people read through and you get a sense, almost like a roadmap of what parts work the best. So I'm I'm thinking of one particular reader, like at when I was selected, when I knew, I actually just messaged her because we were by that point following each other on Twitter. And I just thanked her because Kat was really part of it getting published. Like the fact that she read it start to finish was really cool. And so I would strongly advise, like, absolutely. If you write YA, I would definitely try out for Swoon and see how it goes. And of course, this is me saying it. Also, I've done the traditional way as well. And neither one is right. But I think it's great to kind of keep your options open. Well, thank you for that advice. That would be really helpful for a lot of people, I think. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is um, I really liked the quotes that you placed at the top of chapters that were from real fandoms like in our own lives. And it was like giving little nods to all of your fangirls out there, <laughs> all of the people that understand. Are they all quotes from things that you love to read slash watch? Because I think some of them would be to who, weren't they? 
<laughs> they were, and I do. I love all of them. Um, some of them I'm more fanishly involved with, um, but all of them are, I think, great fandoms and great representations of if all the feels was real, where you would gather all those fans from. So yeah, I I, I have a lot of fandoms. I'm very multi-fandom. So it was really fun to have, kind of choose those. Yeah, it's a, a really nice way to do your own fictional story, but nod to the people out there who are having these fandom relationships with real things. Like, that was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really like that. I like that idea that it's this recognition of the fangirls and fanboys um, out there in the world. Like, it really is theirs. Like, here you go. This is, although this is a fictional story, here you go. This is true. Yeah, it's like talking about all this, uh, all these things that Liv is going through and then being like, hi, Doctor Who fans. I know you do this too. I I see you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So are you a, a big reader then as well as a writer? Yes, although I go sort of in phases. Um, So I tend not to read a lot if I'm forcing myself to do the thousand words a day because I just don't have time. And I know this sounds weird, but I also don't want to skew how I'm writing to kind of reflect whoever I'm reading. Um, But yes, when I'm done um, writing a draft or doing edits, then I kind of fall back into just like a huge reading binge. Yeah, I, I go into slumps and then binge. I do it with TV as well, actually, just thinking about it now. I'll definitely go a couple of months not reading anything and feeling like the worst reader ever, and then I'll read 15 in one month. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the great thing is that, you know, books are just kind of, it's whenever you need them. And it if you re- find the right book at that time, it's like it was written for you. Oh, yeah, that's such a wonderful feeling. But uh, I I feel like it's such a strange thing to read while you want to write or you are in the process of writing as well, because Mm -hmm. you want you want to read to find inspiration and you want to read for leisure. But like, I think I don't know if you do this, too, but I know others do and I do as well. When you're writing, you'll read a book and you'll get like a little bit jealous and a little bit heartbroken if it's too good. You're like. (laughs) Like, my story is yes. not this. <laughs> I want to write this I, gold. <laughs> yes, I totally have that, Beth. That's definitely not not you. And it's funny, like, sometimes I think, oh, if only I could write literary fiction. But truthfully, that's just not my skill. And so when I talk to someone like you or another reader and they're like, oh, I just loved it, then it just kind of makes me feel like, okay, so it's not so bad that I write what I know. And, you know, as long as it connects to people, but oh my goodness, that like kind of little feeling of jealousy. Absolutely. I mean, there's just so many incredible writers that how could you not feel like yeah never read lord of the rings while you're writing that's just advice for anyone who's in the writing process right now it'll just break your heart oh goodness yes that's true yeah one weird question i did want to ask is um how do you find the whole shebang of being a writer now that it's all online 
Like, do you feel like you've needed to really work on your online presence to be a writer now and, like, things like Goodreads and platforms similar to that? Do you feel like writers need to be really active on that now? Um, okay, if I... Okay, for me, I spent a lot of time online anyway, so it was... It didn't feel like it was a huge shift. So... It was a good transition for me, but I know, especially for friends of mine that are very shy and just hesitant to share much about themselves, it's a big step. And I would say that just the truth of the world nowadays is that you do need to have an online presence. Um, and so for your your listeners um, who are wanting to get into writing, I would recognize that that is going to be expected. And I think just, you don't have to be involved in every single site. Um, but you do kind of have to have an awareness and a presence that if people who are reading your book want to find you that they can. Um, and I do think it's becoming more important. So having said all of that, I'm also going to kind of step back and say, one of the dangers, though, of the way that publishing has sort of been pushing writers to actually get out in the public eye is that it feels like you're working sometimes when you're online, but you're not writing a book. And so the danger is you spend all this time making connections and that's a great thing, but it's not going to put the words on the page. And that kind of brings me back to that thousand words. So when I'm writing, I will not go online until that thousand is done because I just figured my first job is actually to write the book. And then the second job is to actually connect to fans, connect to other writers, connect to writing communities. And so I have to kind of keep those in balance. So it's a weird thing. It's um, sort of like uh, you got to be really careful with it. Yeah, I never really thought about that danger before, but that's definitely true. I spent a lot of time when I was a bit younger trying to make loads of connections, following like editors from magazines or from literary magazines and stuff, following other writers and then realizing they didn't actually have any work on my website. So why on earth would they follow me back? <laughs> and I was just thinking like I've spent way too much time working on my online presence and boosting my following. I need to actually get something done now. <laughs> exactly. Because it feels like work and in a way it is, but it, yeah, it is a slippery slope. And of course, then as soon as I'm online, I'm also like totally fooling around and <laughs> doing other things too. Um, I will totally admit to that. <laughs> Looking at puppy videos on Facebook is uh, my weakness. <laughs> the last question I'm going to ask you is one that I ask everybody who's an avid reader is what are five books that are significant to your life? Like five books that have really stayed with you throughout your reading life. Oh my goodness. Okay, five. Okay, and no why they're significant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm always throwing questions that are really hard to ask. <laughs> that's no problem. Um, the first one I'm going to say is On Writing by Stephen King. And I always put that one in. Um, and it's because although I like Stephen King as a writer of fiction, I think On Writing is one of the best nonfiction books about writing. 
And so again, if you have listeners who are writers themselves and looking for some inspiration, I think his book is phenomenal. And I keep a very dog-eared copy beside my bed. And when I'm in a writing slump, I go back to it. So that's the first one. Um... I'm going to choose a weird one. I'm going to say Gulliver's Travels. And I choose that one only because my my father actually read that to me. And it's the first book I remember someone reading to me. That's a really sweet answer. I don't know what the first book someone read to me was. Well, there you go. The reason I know it's like the first book is because when I was very, very little, my mom went back to work. She was very much a career woman. Um, my dad stayed home. And so I had a stay at home dad when like nobody had a stay at home dad. And I actually remember him reading this book to me. And I know I had to be very young because my sister wasn't born. And my sister was born at like when I was around three. And so that book, I remember Gulliver's Travels. And that's not a kid's book, really. But my dad read it to me. And I actually remember that. Okay, um, book three. Um, I'm going to say The Time Traveler's Wife. And that one's uh, about 10 years, 15 years old uh, by Audrey Niffenegger. And that one is one of those books like you very well described, Beth, where you read it and you were like, oh, my goodness, if I could just write this way. I remember just sobbing as I read that book and I loved it. It's this wonderful story. And I think it also has a great message about how a lot of times we try to live in the past or we're always thinking about the future and we have a real difficulty as people to just live in the present. I think that's what the message is, at least how I read it. So yeah, I love that book. Oh my goodness. Now I got to think of another one. Number four, I'm going to say The Hunger Games. I actually, I held off reading The Hunger Games for ages because I just, I don't know, I felt like, okay, well, Suzanne Collins, like everybody's saying how amazing it is. Do I really want to read it? And to put it off like for ages. And then of course I started and I read it like in a day and I was like, I need the next book. And so I really remember, I loved Katniss. And I just felt like, wow, there's a character I can definitely identify with. And then the last one, and this one is really my, like when I was younger, but it kind of encapsulated growing up to me. And that was the whole Harry Potter series. And I know I'm cheating to choose all of it, but it really was. (laughs) Yeah, you are. (laughs) I'm totally cheating. Okay, I guess if I have to choose one, I'll choose the first one because it's like a gateway drug. (laughs) But I I remember um, my sister and I, like we would, um, we wait until the next book came out and the next book came out. And I remember when the Deathly Hallows came out, I remember my sister got it first and I was so angry at her. And I just remember this one morning when she'd stayed up all night reading it and she came and she gave it and she just put it on my dresser. And I was like, are you okay? And she just said, I'm just going to let you read that. And I was so terrified. And it is true. So I guess in a way she had Liv's feelings, <laughs> but yeah, I love that. That is too. such a, that is such a common reaction to that book to just close <laughs> it and be like, okay, well, I'll just uh, exactly. let that sink in. <laughs> exactly. I think that's five. It's probably way more than five, but, um, uh, yeah, I really love those books. You, you took it to 10 now, so 
yeah, we'll say we've answered that one. Yeah, they're really cool answers. I really enjoyed the Hunger Games, and I had the same issue as you with everybody telling me to read it. And I'm like, well, there's no possible way I can enjoy it now because you've all told me it's way too incredible. I don't think I got along with the last one, but I think that wasn't because of um, Suzanne Collins. That was because I was just so devastated how it ended <laughs> that I was angry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have that uh, reaction with a lot of books. I'm like, it's not the writing, okay? It's just this is not how I wanted it to end. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I did love Hunger Games. Me and my boyfriend have massive disagreements over it because I love Katniss, and I think she's brilliant and a great female character. But Peter really gets on my nerves, and then <laughs> my boyfriend's the other way around. Like, he, he just loves Peter and thinks he's the greatest character ever and just hates Katniss. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a book that gets an argument. Well, I would side with you on that, Beth, because I I agree. Yes, you're right. There you go. With- Peter gets on my nerves. He just, he just traipses after Katniss and expects her to look after him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just left him in the arena. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't deal with you. You're too needy. <laughs> Stay here. Oh, that is awesome. I love that. I love how this interview has just gone from us answering questions to us being like, who do we do? Who do we hate in books? <laughs> who do we like? And which books make us really angry and jealous? <laughs> and I think that's okay. I really think that's good because, like, if you're reading stuff and you care enough that you actually are like vested interest in it, that's awesome. I mean, I'm sure that those writers are really, really happy about it. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Definitely. I'll have to tweet J.K. Rowling after this and tell her that you called the philosopher's stone uh, the gateway drug. <laughs> I'm sure she'd be really proud of that, actually. I think she would, too. It was good. And it really, you know, when you grow up with it, like, it just, that's your life, right? You know, like, so there's this amount of time. And I just, I just have these, like, really, I have all the feels about it, I guess. I really do. Oh, that plug in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I grew up at Pato, and it's definitely, it's definitely part of, it becomes part of your life. Sure. But it is absolutely true. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like, I feel like we could have talked about fandom for like days. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the podcast today. This is a project I've wanted to start for a long time now and I'm very happy to be launching Beth's Bookshelf. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Danica Stone. All of the links to her channels will be down below, along with a link to where you can buy her book, All the Feels. If you're someone who loves YA fiction and is part of a fandom, I promise you'll really enjoy this read. Don't forget to give the podcast a share and subscribe if you enjoyed it and I'll see you next Sunday for episode two.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 